Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, episode 125. And it was a, that was an inaccurate intro, man. I'm broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee right now. But uh, and you're you're still in Boca, but I feel like it's uh, about the temperature of Buffalo down there in Florida. So <laughs> yeah, it's that bad, but it's definitely chilly this week. I had to wear socks a couple days. It was like forty nine. Oh, boo hoo, boo hoo. Two pair of pants, couple hoodies, just to walk the dog. It was brutal. Yeah. So we're gonna get the uh, bad news out of the way first. The Bills lost in overtime um, on Sunday. I will be wearing a Patrick Mahomes Chiefs jersey as soon as Trey sends it to me, probably next week. But uh, I sent Trey a nice special edition uh, T-shirt, and he'll see it when he gets it. Um, I'm sure he doesn't listen to our show every single week, so he won't know. Um, but anyway, welcome back to Freight 360, everybody. We got a great episode today all about quoting customers. This, this is like a um, the whole prospecting and quoting and getting business side of freight brokering is is really some of the most demanded content that we get from you all in the audience and in our you know our, our pool of listeners so we got a good one for you today um but uh you know first make sure to keep sharing us with all your friends in the industry we've we've really really blown up our community and we appreciate everybody that's been reaching out um we do apologize too we can't answer everybody's question we probably get i don't know 10 to 20 questions or forums that come in a week, people wanting stuff. So we try to consolidate the content and get it all relevant to the whole group. So, but absolutely keep sending stuff over and we will get to as much of it as we possibly can. Um, Ben, what's new in your neck of the woods? Not a whole lot other than being cold. I'll tell you, I've had some frustrations on the brokerage side this week. Well, you and I were chatting about that last night. Just a group of cares that I've been working with for a long time um just getting them in line trying to get them organized trying to get their paperwork situated and it's like anything else like nobody wants to do these things until they're like absolutely necessary so found myself just going through literally months worth of invoices for equipment that should have been taken care of during that week during that month right but true to form they'll send you four months worth of stuff that they haven't looked at it because all of a sudden they get a shut off notice and then they're starting to scream, well, take care of it today, take care of it today. Like everybody else can drop what they're doing to take care of four months worth of invoices that they neglected to pay attention to. Yeah. So a bit of a frustrating afternoon yesterday, so to speak, but that's why we're here to talk about some of these things, try to prevent yeah. them, what, actually, what you can, right? <laughs> yeah, so th- this is not today's topic, but I, I do wanna ask you a, what do you think, who's at fault in this situation? This happened yesterday. So we had a, um, a one pick, two drop load and it was delivering to think like Cisco or one of the really big um, big receivers that has they're very strict on their like appointment times and their rules and stuff like that. So the the delivery was set up to do half of half of the truck to deliver one day and then the other half the next morning. And I don't know I don't know the specifics on why that was the case, but that's what they wanted to have happen. Um, and they will find you if, if it's late at all, if, you know, if it doesn't all deliver in, or if it delivers all at once instead of, you know, two different stops, mm-hmm. whatever the case might be. So very, very, very clearly stated on the 
rate confirmation and um, explain to the driver that, hey, you need to make sure that, you know, this half is coming off um, tonight and the other half tomorrow morning. And um, our agent, you know, t talks to the driver when they are there at their appointment. The first one, driver's like, yep, all good. Um, she calls him the next morning and he's like, oh, we delivered it all yesterday. They pulled the whole load off. And now the customer, the receiver is pissed because... I, lo I love the way they phrased it, right? They pulled the whole load off as if like they had no responsibility and it just happened to them, right? Yep. So she's she's asking me, she's like, well, what do I do? And I told her, well, there, I'm like, there's a lot of variables in here, but at the end of the day, we have to figure out who's at fault, right? It's not the shipper because they, no, they have no responsibility in it. The receiver and the carrier and you, depending on what happened, probably shared some sort of joint responsibility. But I went through and she did everything legitimately the way that I would have done it myself and the way that she should have done it. She she verified with the guy that what he was supposed to do. She clearly put it on there. It was even listed on the BOL for the receiver to see the details. Um, and she told the driver, when you get to the delivery, if anything seems off or doesn't go along with their plan, call me right away. Don't call the receiver. Don't call the shipper. Call me right away and let me be the point of contact. Mm -hmm. So wh who do you think is at fault on this? Well, <clears throat> I would want to know kind of how it played out between the driver and the receiver. Um, the first thing that went to my head was, well, if it's clearly stated on the BOL, the one thing I would do as a broker is ask the driver to make sure the receiver initials that line when they sign it to just make sure they read it, right? Because there's a lot that is said that gets neglected in the heat of it. You're trying to get things unloaded. Maybe the drivers, there's somebody else trying to get into the dock. The guys at the dock are just trying to get to the next truck, right? The ability to slow things down to make sure that information was clearly conveyed, I guess would be my first question. So like did the dispatcher say the driver clearly stated this to the receiver and the receiver said, we're gonna take it off anyway? Yeah, or? That, so that's where, that's where like the, uh, the gray area is that we can't get a can't get a straight story. So basically, what what I ended up telling her was, I think you all have a little bit of responsibility in this. I said I'm not gonna I wouldn't ask your customer to to give you any grace, accept their fine, pass some of it through to the carrier, whatever you think is a reasonable amount, and then eat the rest yourself. It's one load. Learn from it and move on. I said worst case scenario, you can eat the whole 250 bucks yourself. And now you're only making 50 bucks instead of 300 bucks. I said, lesson learned, move on, right? Um, sometimes you gotta- How did it play out? Well, how did it play out? Is that what- It's still, um, she had to talk to her customer and they're supposed to get back to her today and figure out what what fine they wanted to issue, if any fine at all. So that's why I told and her, I said, what you gotta do first before anything, talk to your customer and get ahead of that and explain exactly uh, yep. what's going on and what happened. So. And the other thing is that's that's the addition. Like that's what I would add to it is go back and you want to come back with a solution to the issue to at least be able to say this is how we're going to prevent this from the future, right? The worst thing to do is when you go back and go, hey, this happened. How do you guys want to pay this without giving them that answer, right? And that's how I would move forward, right? Is look, this is how it went down. What do you guys want to do? As the broker, I would do exactly what you said. I would make sure my customer absolutely isn't paying any of it. That's definitely on the broker and the carrier. I would explain to the carrier, especially now if it's a consistent carrier that goes there often, I'm likely to eat more of that, if not all of it. If yep. it's a you know a transactional carrier, we're gonna split it, or 
depends on how clearly I felt that was conveyed to the dispatcher and how well I thought they actually listened and executed it, right? And that's yeah. very subjective. But yep. again, that solution would be moving forward. If you have something that specific where the driver needs to make sure they're notifying the receiver, because that might not be the receiver's policy. Again, like it could have been the shipper's policy and that doesn't happen on every load. Those drivers, I would have them initial that on the BOL. That way you've got clear, concise proof that like the receiver acknowledged it, decided to take the whole off, whole load off anyway, and you can absolve the driver and yourself as the broker of responsibility because now it falls on the receiver. Yep. This is the, uh, these are the, the situations in brokerage that will make you better if you take a positive away from them instead of just getting frustrated out of it. So, but I mean, this there is always the, is. This is the whole, I mean, this is the stuff that we talk about in our coaching all the time too, is like, yes, you can learn a ton of stuff through our material, but until you actually go through specific situations or hear about someone else going through a situation like that, it's really difficult to, to dig deep into the nitty gritty of what can go wrong. So, And there's a great tip, I think, for that. Just all of these situations in general, right? No matter where you originally feel the fault lies, right? Whether it's the shipper didn't communicate it, maybe the driver didn't listen, maybe the dispatcher didn't communicate it, wherever that lies, right? After you've let that um, the original frustration pass, the you know everybody gets all welled up and irritated, and it's frustrating, right? Especially when you run into these, no matter what causes them. I think yeah. the important takeaway is once that passes, a moment or two later, take a beat, walk around the office, sit back down, and ask yourself what you could do if you take personal responsibility of this situation. Because at the end of the day, you as a broker are the only one that is going to be able to solve this moving forward. You'll never do anything about what's already occurred. But if you then think, okay, what can I be responsible for that could prevent this in the future? That's where you'll come up with a creative ways to save these from eating up your time in the future. Because it will happen again, whether it's next week, next, the next day or the next month, right? It's gonna be yeah. inevitable. That's it, that's it. Hey, side note, because um, we're gonna talk about quoting today and we were just talking about you know, some customer related stuff. Did you see the uh, comment in our Facebook group? Someone said, all, all shipping managers leave your information below. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. I so I said like this, you know, this comment wins or whatever. And I started seeing a bunch of like messages coming back this morning. I didn't read them all yet, but it almost sounded like they weren't joking. They were serious. Maybe. So I don't know, but. Uh, well, hey, everybody's somewhere in their learning path, whether it's yeah. step one or step 10, there's always more to learn and there's always things you don't learn. So, I mean, yep. the only dumb questions are the ones we don't ask, but that was a sure. pretty comical was, comment. Well, I think it's funny <laughs> you go into a group that's <clears throat> for freight brokers and motor carriers. So our, our group is literally called Primarily that. <laughs> it's brokers, dispatchers, and carriers. They're all connecting, um, asking questions, talking about capacity and stuff like that. You know, um, There's not a lot of shipping managers that are gonna hang out in those groups. Maybe, I don't know, but who knows? Anyway, um, today's topic all about quoting customers. We gotta give a shout out to our friends over at DAT First. Hey, bef you know, before we get, do the ad read, um, we're, we've been doing a lot of really cool stuff with DAT with webinars and all that, and we're gonna try and start to leverage some of the other partnerships that they have to introduce a lot of really cool resources and services that are out there in the brokerage world. So stay tuned. For, for all that good stuff. They're an amazing organization and they they have a very, very good reach and a lot of good vendors that they work with. So um, all the cool new tech and tools out there and um, all the new available services that'll assist 
us and the freight brokerage world and help our customers out, we're going to try to give you guys access and exposure to as much of that as possible. So stay tuned for, for that this year. Speaking of taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, good stuff, good stuff. So, um, quoting customers, all right, this is a very broad topic, right? There's a lot that goes into quoting. What I wanted to start with, and when we kind of designed the, the flow of today's episode was, let's start with talking about the spot market, versus the contract market. Because there are two big different ways that you're gonna probably quote a customer. It's gonna be on a load that's gotta move today, spot market, or you might be putting a bid price in for a an RFP, which is a request for pricing. You might hear it called a um, RFQ, right? Re- request for quotation. Um, there's all different kinds of ways that they'll, they'll name these, these bids or these pricing requests. Um, they call them like proposals and you know, there's all, all kinds of stuff, but we have to differentiate the spot market versus the contract market. So, um, let's talk contract first. Cause I think the majority of freight that moves, not that we touch as brokers, but the majority of freight that moves is typically <clears throat> in that contract space. And what that means is, and I, you know, forget about the, the COVID nuances right now and how the supply chain has shifted. Just go back to the normal marketplace before COVID when the majority of freight was put on annual bids from these large large shippers, right? So once a year, typically, I would say around October, so in their last quarter, they're getting ready to do their bid for the next calendar year, right? And they will send out um, to all of their registered transportation providers, and that is going to be a lot of asset-based carriers. And there's gonna be some brokers in there too that are approved to hop in on their bid. And they'll send out a list of all of their lanes. And it could be, depending on the size of the company, it could be 40 lanes, it could be 3,000 lanes. And I've seen, I've seen the 1,000 plus lane bids and they are overwhelming. But the way that the contract market works, everybody sends their pricing in, there might be a second um, phase where you get to go back and sharpen your pencil a little bit and offer a more competitive bid or maybe decide, you know what, I don't want to bid on these lanes anymore. Anyway, at the end of the day, that company will award contracted lanes to those providers based on their criteria of maybe a mix of price, previous service history, you know, what it could be a whole bunch of stuff. So that's that is the contract world. So then what happens is when those loads move the next year, they're just automatically sent right out to that carrier or that broker to move at that rate that they contracted and agreed to. Um, and the majority of the time, they get it covered, all good. Typically about 10% of the time, they'll say, you know what, we actually can't follow through on this, we're gonna send it back to the customer and they're gonna have to find another way to move it. Um, did I miss anything on the big picture of the contract world that you wanna add? I'd say. Two big things that I don't want to say left out, but I want to stress. One is traditionally these are shippers directly contracted with asset trucking companies. 
And why that is the case is that like asset companies, right? And if you think contract, another way to think about the criteria is think predictable when you think contract, right? When you think broker and spot, think flexible. So contract predictable, right? The best candidate to be able to predict what they're willing to run work for on a 12 month basis, right? Is a truck that has their own fixed costs, right? They know how many drivers they have. They know where their drivers already have customers. So they know where they're going at portions of the week. They know which back hauls they still need. And they know which front hauls they need for other assets that they own and have, right? Yep. So it's a very predictable business model from the trucking side. They're like, hey, we've got this fixed number of people and, and equipment. And these are the lanes that we would work. This is based on fuel. And remember, like when you own an asset company, like you know your truck lease, you know your cost per driver per mile, right? The only variable, you know your insurance, you know your, all your office expenses. The only real variable is fuel. And that's why when you see in bids, there's usually a variable for fuel so that even though they put their number in, they can adjust for that flexibility because that's the only variable usually an asset company needs to put into this contract, right? Yeah, and they'll so, typically, they'll call that the fuel surcharge and yep. that that customer might give you a, a schedule of their surcharge. So what that does is it says, hey, if diesel prices are between, you know, $3 and $3.06 per gallon, you're gonna get an extra 19 cents per mile. I'm just making that up. I, I'm yeah. not looking at that one right now, but that's typically how they work. And it, it'll go, it'll have that entire range all the way down to like, where there's no surcharge. So if it's like two bucks a mile or, or two yeah. bucks a gallon or whatever. So you got this predictable side of the asset company. So what you tend to see is a lot of the bigger companies, even the smaller companies, right, that work regionally. <clears throat> That's why when a broker, and we'll get to that in a minute, when they try to cover a load for a shipper and they go, well, the open market is way more expensive than what this guy wants to pay. It's because traditionally, most of the freight moves with predictable asset-based trucking companies. Now, yep. to your point, that 10%, where that number is right now, which is literally the amount of tendered loads that are given back to the shippers by trucking companies that said they would commit to it, right? Yep. Is right now it's like 27 or 30%. So yeah, like I think, one I think in the three metric, loads. The metric that I think Freight Waves uses is the ORTI, right? The outbound tender yeah. rejection index. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's, it's, it's between 20 and 30%, which means instead of just one out of 10 loads being sent back, it's now two to three out of 10. That's huge. No, that means no, that there's two about, to three times as much freight out there that is now going to leave the contract world and move to what we're gonna talk about next, which is the spot market. And one other thing I wanna add, I know you said it's primarily um, asset-based carriers and the contract world. I don't have the exact um, percentage, but I'm, I think it's somewhere between like 60 and 80% ends up being uh, awarded to those contract carriers or offered to those contract um, asset-based carriers, and the rest may fall into a, a small group of, of brokers that are allowed to bid on it too. Right. So. Now, here's two other caveats, right? Like, larger brokerages tend to compete with the asset companies on these bigger bids, and why they're able to is because they have larger carrier bases within their customers, because they just have more customers, and they have lanes that they are already dedicated with like their carrier base. So let's say like I'm a broker at CH, right? I might have a large company we'll call like Dole Pineapple. And let's just say I move 85 loads a week for them. And let's say out of those 20, those 85, 30 of them go to the same trucks in the same lanes every single week, right? Well now, even though I'm not an asset company, I know my drivers that work for me week in and week out, 
also want some backhauls to go back where they were gonna pick up from. So now I can give my carriers what they want, they give me a below open market rate, less than what it would cost to cover it that day in the spot market, and now I can compete with the asset companies as a brokerage. So yeah. this is the normal trajectory. As your broker gets bigger and your carrier base expands, as you start booking more consistent regular drivers to run the same loads for you, you can now start predicting by being able to bid on contract freight, it will typically be lower margin than what you make in the spot market, but that's how you build some of that consistent revenue into your book of business. It's not gonna be a 20% margins or even 15, maybe it's 10 or 11%, maybe it's nine, but you know the driver, so there's no risk. You don't have a lot of work posting, you don't have to cover them. All you're doing is distributing the loads and having your team make sure nothing goes wrong as they deliver them. So it's way less touch, way less work but it's predictable. I was gonna say, so the the benefit of having brokers in a contract world is, because people typically think, oh, broker, that you know, you're adding one more layer of margin, it's gonna cost more. That's not necessarily true, and you just outlined why, right? We as brokers have, we have a, a much further reach into the market, right? We don't just have access to the 500 trucks in this fleet, we have access to the hundreds of thousands of trucks that are out there if we have the relationships established. And by having having that reach, we can reduce the amount of empty miles that a truck has to drive, and we can put you know this same lane, it doesn't have to be the same carrier every single time that lane runs. We can plug and play as needed. So. Yes, so another way to look at this right is, when a broker takes a contracted lane, they have the ability to go to the open market if the, if the truck expected to pick it up can't. An asset company does not have that authority. They cannot go to the open market. So think about like an analogy I heard somebody use. It's like it's like a pickup game in basketball. Somebody shows up with their team. They know who plays what role. They have a certain amount of people. The other coach can pull from anybody in the community and just go, hey, sub somebody in. Somebody gets hurt, bring anybody in that can play ball that meets the requirements we can play, right? So yep. it's a deeper bench, right? They literally have access to the whole community or the whole market where the asset side only has what they know they have, that number doesn't change, unless they buy another truck and hire another driver. You're absolutely right. And the risk to a carrier just trying to grow, 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 grow too fast, they don't have enough business to keep their trucks all moving and, and they have empty miles in there or drivers sitting idle, it's gonna really, really dig into their profit. So, all right, that's, yep. the, that's the contract side. Now let's talk the spot market, right? And this is where primarily as a new freight broker, this is gonna be where you spend all of your time. You're prospecting, not what can I contract for the next year, but what is available right now? What problem loads are out there that I can work on that I can help solve a customer's problem and get this load moved for them? So hold on one second, because I wanna define problem, because we get asked this a lot. So the problems you're trying to uncover with a prospect, a shipper you're speaking to, are the ones we just described from the contract market. You are trying to ask questions to determine which of their contracted carriers gave them a load back. Which of their contracted carriers give them the same loads back every week? Which of their contracted carriers have taken or committed to lanes that they just don't have the capacity for. So you're basically prodding to find the holes left by the contracted carriers so that you can, in a shorter amount of time, fill the gap that the asset company is not able to. You're absolutely right. Now, when it comes to pricing, think about this. When you price for a contract rate, like for an entire year or a whole quarter, you're gonna give one price and commit to that for the entire time, right? Now, 
when you're committing, when you're going to quote on a spot load, so a load that's available right now that has to pick up today or tomorrow, you are subjected to whatever's going on in the market, not just today, but this hour, right? Because stuff can change throughout the day, not just day to day, but within an, a specific day. So the, the cost to hire a truck at 10 a.m. today versus 4 p.m. tomorrow can be ridiculously, it could be, it could be off by a dollar a mile or $2 a mile, depending on how urgent this load is or if there's any trucks in the, if there's actually any legitimate trucks in the area or if you've got to hire somebody to drive 200 miles empty just to get to your pickup, there's a lot of variables that go in here. So let's, you want to talk about uh, kind of your rate versus date concept? I know this is a, a big part of the spot market that you've, you've done a really good job at explaining in the past. Yeah, and I just try to think of it as like, there's always two extremes of any situation, right? The far extreme on one end is a shipper that needs a load picked up in the shortest amount of time possible. So we can either say a day, but you'll see this as you're prospecting, your customers or prospects will tell you like, hey, this is a hot load, right? That means from their point of view, it is the highest priority. And even with a hot load, you will reach a position or point where like, it needs to go out in the next hour maybe in the next 45 minutes, maybe in the next two, three hours, right? So those are your extremes. That is a scenario, right, where the date matters way more than the price or the rate, right? So they're very, very date time sensitive. It's urgent, right? The whole other side of this spectrum is the other side, which is, hey, and typically pre-COVID, these commodities were like bricks. Even lumber to some degree was, there was just always enough of these commodities on both sides of the supply chain that there was never an incentive to pay any more than the going rate for the, honestly, the to contract rate to get it moved. Why? Yep. Because they're just, they just never needed those commodities on the other end urgently. There's enough there and there's enough here. Keep it moving from one side to the other, but it never becomes a last minute urgent situation. And that really, that variable, how urgent it is, is what's gonna determine how high your margin is. The more urgent, the more they're gonna be willing to pay, the more work there is for you, and the more risk there is. I can't, the more you so fall on the other I wanna, side. I wanna, I wanna stress that point that you just brought up, the pre-COVID thing with, with building commodities and building materials. So many times I would see brokers that, uh, you get a lot of these like brick or lumber or whatever, kind of shippers that they're positioned in a way where they're gonna have like 500 mile runs, right? And probably two bucks a mile on average. So they're gonna pay $1,000 and they're not gonna, they're not gonna budge at all. They're going to pay $1,000. They're telling you how much they're gonna pay for it. And I would see brokers that are covering it for 950, 960, 955. So you get brokers that their business model was, I'm just gonna do a high volume and make like four or 5% just consistently over and over. And they could get by on that um, if they had a large enough volume and their cash flow could support it. Um, that is not how the market is right now, though. But that is a that is how things were in the past in a lot of the um, a lot of those building material commodity shippers. So, and that's anyway. another. But I think that's another important thing because we get asked this a lot. Like, where should my margins be? Right. I worked with two of our clients yesterday on this very topic. Was when you look at your whole brokerage, right, it's a blended rate of all of your customers. So it's important to know what that is, and it's important to know what that is as a function of really what your profit margin needs to be like. You should also know how much you need to make to cover all of your fixed costs per load. Um, 
to know what that number is that you have to be above before you're even profitable. Because maybe 5% is enough, maybe your operating expenses are 5%. So maybe like you need eight to even earn three. So the first thing I would say is know that number, what your yep. cost is on a monthly basis divided by your average amount of loads run. That'll give you that number. But the more important caveat is like when you get into margin, right, which is really just the dollar equivalent of risk for a brokerage and a shipper, right? That's what you're pricing in. You know, the closer you are to urgent, like if I got a customer that needs us picked up this morning, I'm gonna tell them flat out, like I'm gonna go tell you what the market is at right now. I'll tell you the range I think I'm gonna pay, but if you really need this, I'll get you the truck, but I don't know what it's gonna cost. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna add a margin for my time and that's what the cost is going to be. But if they're gonna give me a couple other days, then okay, we'll try to get you that cheaper truck every day. And if you're telling me it's gotta get out by Friday, well by Friday, then it becomes a you know urgent load. So these are the conversations you're having with your prospect to determine really what rate you're gonna bring back. Because everyone goes like, how do I come up with the perfect rate? Well, you only can come up with the perfect rate if you have the context of the situation, right? Without it, and that's where people get into this issue where they're like, they're spending all this time looking through all of this data, whether it be DAT or freight waves or any of the information out there. If you haven't asked enough questions from your shipper, you don't know what you're trying to fit in there. You don't know the context. You don't know if it's perfect. You don't know if they want closer to contracted because they're willing to wait or if it's urgent. And I can tell you this, they are not gonna just flat out tell you that because that's the hand of poker they're playing. They're telling yep. all their brokers and everybody they work with as much information as they can to get the lowest price that they have to pay. So they're not gonna be super forthcoming, which is why trust matters so much to being good at this job because the rate you give them is a function of the information you get and the information you get is a function of the amount of trust and rapport you have. So I know that we're gonna hit on like tools and stuff here in a little bit, but I wanted to, I wanted to just echo what you said. So there's a reason that DAT and Truck Stop with their rating tools, they omit the upper and lower what like five percent yep. like that because there are there are going to be those loads that are so urgent that they they end up paying two to three x the market rate to get them moved right away and we don't want that data to be reflected in our um in our in our, our rating tools right same thing goes with if you get that ridiculous backhaul that the guy takes it for half the market rate right we don't want we don't want those um outliers to be factored into our but we do. Here's the thing. Yes and no. I'll agree with you and the fact that yeah, like I'm they are omitted. Extreme examples. Right. Extreme but ones. but why you don't want them is that you don't want them when you're looking at that information for a contracted or longer term situation, right? That's the only time you really look at that data. If you've got a load you gotta cover today, none of that really matters. It only matters for a starting point. What really matters is that 5% that is omitted when you look at the historical data, you know, three, seven days, 30 days, six months, and a year, right? That helps you to predict, hopefully, the predictiveness of this year. You know, what is it gonna be over the next month? The reality is, is if your customer's telling you they need this picked up today, that shit don't matter at all. What matters is go to the load board, see what the other brokers are posting, because that's the information of the 5% that is emitted in the contract side. So when you look at rate mate, right, and it gives you all of this information, or rate view, right, when you wanna find out what it costs to cover it today, or this morning, that 5% that is emitted over there, you will find by looking at the open market, what freight brokers are posting yep. that load for right now, and by posting up this load to see what carriers bring back to you. So let's, I mean, let's kind of get into some of those tools. So we mentioned 
I'll tell you the, the three that I've worked with primarily, RateMate from TruckStop, RateView from DAT, and most recently Sonar from FreightWaves. And the way that they get their data is important. And that's a, if you're looking at a rating tool, I highly encourage you to ask whoever you're looking at, where is your data coming from? How do I know that this is accurate information? And how do you, you know, do you omit the upper and lower 5%, right? Ask those questions and figure that out. The reason being, if a company just says, oh, you know, we just, we kind of look at, you know, yada, 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 and this is where we get our rates from. It's like, well, we need, to, we need concrete evidence. So like, for example, DAT, right? If a, if a company has, um, if they financially process transactions, they have verified rates. So if like you own a, if you have a, a factoring company that is part of your company's umbrella, that is real information, right? You're going to actually see what a broker paid a carrier for on that lane. That's real data. Um, for example, Sonar from FreightWaves, it's a very, very expensive tool, but it's a, it's a really cool one if you're an analytics person. They have a co-op of like 25 mega brokerages in the country that all share their data every 24 hours and they have a, within a 24 hour, um, actual data, uh, set of data points there. Whereas usually like DAT, you're gonna see th three days, which is still fairly good, but that's three year old data. And even one day old data, there's going to be fluctuation up and down from whatever you're looking at. So, <laughs> but I like how you brought up looking at what other brokers are posting their loads for, because that's a great tool that a lot of people, they don't use, right? <laughs> And not every single load board um, license will give you access to do that. Mm -hmm. I know DAT Power, which is what I use, I can go search and see what other loads are posted that are similar. And then on TruckStop, I believe it's TruckStop Pro. I don't use TruckStop as much as DAT. Um, but if you have the right license out there, you're going to be able to see what other brokers are posting your loads for. And that will give you a live set of data that'll tell you this is what other brokers are asking for on this and the reason that a lot of brokers will post a rate with their load board posting is it gets more visibility right a carrier is more likely to sort their um, load search from highest to lowest pay and then they're gonna they're gonna look at like okay well how far is it from where i am now you know how far do i have to drive empty and they'll kind of factor that stuff in um and with capacity as competitive right now as it is, brokers need to stand out if all they're gonna do is post post a load on a load board. So just some food for thought there on, on another good load board in that sense. I think there was also a really good analogy I saw in the news this morning. Obviously the stock market has been fluctuating a ton over the past two days, right? And there was a graph that really explained how all markets function. I think it's really appropriate here, right? It was the S&P was down like 9% yesterday and it kind of came back. It was down like 9% yesterday and came back up. But the graph was, and like everybody gets all worried, like, oh, what is this doing in a day, right? But the reality is, is that most people that have their money in the stock market have it in there until retirement, long-term yep. investments. And that's exactly what they said. They're like, hey, yeah, it might be down 10%, but over the past five years, it's up 90%. So this isn't really relevant unless you are a day trader or trying to make money scalp trading on a daily basis. If you're leaving your money in there, just like in the contract market, if you're willing to wait long enough, the variability in the short run doesn't matter. And that's why you spend time looking at historical data, right? What has yeah, the what chart look it's, like over it's time? Your, see, it's like not timing the market, but time in the market, right? Exactly. So, yep. 
Interesting analogy to freight brokering. But think about that on the contract side, right? Those contract rates that are the same that they've agreed to all year, they're going to have loads or lanes on certain days where they make a ton of money because capacity costs them a little bit less, right? And then on the flip side, they're gonna take hits. Well, and that's an important point. When you really look at these bids, and you've worked in them as well as I have, when you go through these hundreds of lane bids, you're basically pricing in on what a year looks like. And a year does not look like this if you look at it on a graph. A year looks like this, right? It goes up and down based on the volatility. But your price is set as a flat line. So if you've got this line, when the market looks like this, maybe you're not doing so well. But when it's like this, you're doing very well. So when you price in this, right, why you see bigger companies do this as opposed to newer ones is you don't have enough information and you don't have enough predictable carriers. So you can't really guess what it's gonna cost you to cover this lane every week all year. And COVID and everything that's happened, right, we've just got more volatility which is why, back to our early explanation, why you're seeing 27%, you know, upwards of 30% of loads given back. Because an asset company that booked a load for 275 a mile just gives it back if they can get $3.50 a mile in the spot market because there's no repercussions. There's no legal penalties. Nobody sues anybody. The only repercussion is they might not give you that load the next time you bid it next year. And that's really the only risk when you don't pick up loads for a shipper. So one of the... The last things I wanted to talk about with, with pricing here is, so if you if you look at rate view, right, and you get that that range, and it's usually, I don't know, you might see like a couple hundred dollar range. So you might see like, oh, this lane is somewhere between 3,300 and 3,700, right? And I'm just giving, that's just a random example. When you talked about rate versus date, if your customer wants uh, the correct, that you know, they're very price sensitive, that price range will give you an idea of where the market is, but you're not gonna find a truck right now within that range, right? You can tell your customer, communicate with them, hey, if you give me some time to work on this, I can probably get you a truck somewhere around this range, right? Yep. Whereas if this is urgent and it has to go right now, like you said before, I don't know what it's going to cost you. I can go find you a truck and I'll let you know what that price looks like. And, and that's where you have to, you can't just predict it right away. You've yes. gotta go out there and actually Talk to carriers. And people always ask like, what do you say when you're prospecting? This is the conversation. The specific words don't matter. It's getting this point across is, hey, I'm on the phone, I'm role playing. Hey, okay, so, you know, Jimmy, you guys, you guys, your target rate on this is 2100. All right, let me take a look at this, I'll get back to you. I'm gonna go look at two pieces of information, right? Rate view and see what the historical is. And it'll probably, if he's telling me it's 2100, I'm guessing historical is probably like two to 2400, right? Somewhere in there. He wants to be on the lower end of that. And probably he pays a little bit more, so he's gonna bluff a little lower, which is pretty standard. Okay, now I look at the spot market, and to cover that load today, let's say it's $3,000, right? Plus my margin, so call it 3,400, 3,500, right? I'm gonna call him back and go, hey, Jimmy, right? Like, I'm looking at the market, looks like it's about, you know, and I gotta get my margin in there soon, if it's two to 24, it looks like it's 23 to 26. I know you guys wanna be at 21, I can try, but this looks like where it is. To be honest, if you need a truck today, the market looks like it's at about 3,500 today. I know that's above where you wanna be. Then I'm gonna ask him, hey, do I have a few days to work on this? Do you need to get this out this week? Do I have four or five days? Cause I can probably get you a truck close to your rate if I've got enough time to work on it. There's probably a truck that needs this backhaul if I post it consistently and really work it. And I'm gonna let him answer. I'm gonna not say anything. I'm gonna hit mute and then just wait. He's gonna tell me like, oh no, you either have a couple days or I need to get it out today, 
Okay, then my next question is, are you willing to pay this if I have a truck, right? And if he tells me no, he's gotta be at that rate, then guess what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna spend all day calling every truck that is posted where that pickup is because they're not gonna run it for the average. They're gonna want the 3100 or 32 or more. So you know yeah. very quickly in these conversations where your efforts will be once you get off the phone with your prospect. Am I just gonna post it up? Then that's all you should do. If he's not willing to pay what it costs to get it moved today, the only effort you should be putting forward is posting that load up on a daily basis and seeing if you get a truck because you're never gonna convince somebody to run it for the predictable, consistent basis when they only need it once. Yep, good discussion. So that's pricing in a nutshell. That we, we didn't get too specific on any part of it. We don't have enough time to do that in one episode, but um, hopefully that sheds some light for those of you that are asking about pricing. So we got a, a few questions here, but first, Got to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Uh, like I said, we we drink the Kool-Aid that we preach, right? So we ourselves, we use Lean. Lean has a great nearshore staffing model where they've got multiple offices down in Columbia, South America. And these are with folks that are trained up in brokerage. And in addition, they've got technical folks, they've got marketing folks, back office support, anything you could think of that, that is relevant in this industry. So um, I know folks that have uh, dispatchers through them, uh, we've had a couple of our listeners that have, have reached out to us and told us that they ended up talking to Lean and hiring them out as well and had a lot of good success. So check them out. You'll be able to get bodies and seats for a fraction of the price that you would in the US. And they're trained up and they're managed by somebody that is not you. So their their whole job is to make your job easier. Here's so the other. at Lean Group. And here I want to add something too, right? Because I personally like, you know, the assistance of my brokerage that I my book are through Lean. And I would say, you know, also working with a lot of other brokerage owners that are trying to hire right now, I would put this out there. If you can barely keep your head above water because you're just literally drowning with work, can't get away from your desk, can't seem to get somebody like the likelihood you're going to have time to one, get candidates to be able to interview, to take time to interview them, and then to bring them in to find out if they're a fit right is, is pretty slim, right? I would say this is also a great solution to be able to get a stopgap in, get somebody in that can help you get some of the work off your desk so you can free up the time to then get to the things that you're probably not getting to. Because if you're operating at that close to your capacity, this is a great solution, plug and play within five weeks. You've got somebody sitting next to you that is trained that can help you start to learn your SOP. Yep, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> All right, our first question. What, uh, what invoicing software should I use? Um, well, we don't have like a recommended one. I will tell you it depends on your TMS. Some TMS, well, most TMSs have invoicing capability built right into them. So I know um, we, we have an affiliate program set up with both Rose Rocket TMS and with Ascend TMS. Now, both of those have built-in invoicing capability. So check them out. You can create an invoice right from within the TMS. The second part of that answer, though, is how do you reconcile the accounting part of your TMS to the actual money in your bank. And that is where most TMSs are gonna need you to connect to a third-party accounting system, like a QuickBooks or something like that. We use QuickBooks personally, I like it. I've used GP or Great Plains in the past. Um, I like QuickBooks better. So yeah, I'm a fan. That's my take on it. Um, I would not use a TMS that does not have invoicing capability because then you're just adding one more layer. Yeah. So. 
All right, what little things like a business account, phone line, etc., do new brokers need to set up? Um, I would say the business. Think? I'm gonna let you take a stab at this because I, I got my got my answer, but I'm curious what you think. So the two, so we're not talking about like your basic requirements, like your authority and insurance right. and all that. We're talking about like the other stuff. Yep. The, yeah. I would say the first thing is figure out how you're gonna structure your company if you haven't already. So the business account one, ask your accountant or whoever it is that's helping you set up your LLC or however it is, it's usually an LLC, um, what that is. And to be honest, like you're really gonna go to your local bank um, and just open a business account. What you're gonna need is you're gonna need your EIN number from your, your business filing, whatever your state you're in, they're gonna send you a doc that has your Businesses is social security number. That's just your EIN. Yep. You're gonna take, it's called um, NYC at the bank. So like know your customer. So you need that document, which is basically like the driver's license for your business. And then you're gonna need your driver's license as usually the owner, CEO of this company that says you have the signing authority. So you're also gonna have the document, which is your actual like certificate for your business that you take in. And on that, it states that you are the person that can sign on behalf of this company. With your driver's license, that's really all you need to set up the business account. Any local bank, I mean, PNC, any of the local ones or the national ones. I would also make sure they have an online banking that you're familiar with. My personal preference is to pick a business account that is somewhat associated with where you have your personal because then it just becomes a little easier to transfer funds. But that's pretty straightforward and how you open the business account. Um, yep. Phone lines, I, I mean- I also add in a, a checking and a savings. Yes. So your checking is gonna be your primary cash in cash out account and your savings would be your you know retained earnings etc right and, so. and, and the next thing is speak with your accountant on how this is going to impact you on the personal tax basis um, how it should be structured how you should be distributing money from that business account to your personal because there will be ramifications depending on how it's distributed whether there's a payroll company in between the company and your personal bank accounts or if it goes directly to it your accountant will be best the best person to describe what fits your personal tax situation on how that yep. money actually gets transferred. And if you're a one, if you're a single owner LLC, the, for tax purposes, it's essentially gonna be looked at the same way as regular earned income. Um, you're just paying yourself. So, and talk to an accountant, they'll usually tell you, hey, when you send, when you pull money out to pay yourself, put a certain percentage aside to pay your taxes. And based on how much volume you're doing, they'll be able to give you an idea of how much that should be. Biggest so. advice we could give you is to get ahead of what you think that number is and to set aside quarterly. The last thing you wanna do is to be living on every dollar you bring in and then the next year you gotta file your taxes and find out you're tens of thousands of dollars in the hole. Yep, so then uh, business phone, absolutely. There are some very, very affordable options out there. You could pay $10 a month, 20 bucks a month, depending on what your setup is. Great idea to have a, a business line. You can usually get like a, an actual uh, VoIP desk phone that no matter where you are, as long as you're plugged into the internet, that phone number will ring to that phone and you can forward it to your cell phone if you need to. Um, but I love how Ben, how you always mention that separating your personal cell phone from your work number, it gives you a, a sense of peace when you're prospecting because that, because that person, if a call goes bad, they're not gonna call your cell phone and yell at you for being an idiot, right? It's a little bit of separation. Yeah. And you got that confidence. Um, the, other two, the other things about phone lines I wanna add is one, 
I know you don't have to shut this off now, but if you're going into this and you're gonna build a book, there's gonna be a time where you don't want, you wanna be able to shut off. So like even though your customers will have your cell phone, you wanna be able to direct them to a business line. You want it to be a desk phone because there's a different mentality dialing through a desk phone than on your personal phone, right? It absolutely has a different mindset. And I would say the other thing to make sure you have with whatever phone line you're picking is the ability to record the calls. One of the best things you can do if you're not at the place where you can hire a coach or bring on somebody to coach you is at the end of every week, actually every day you should do this, write down the good call you had, what time, and write down the bad calls you had and what time. And at the end of the week, sit down and go through and listen to them when you have time where nobody's calling you, nobody's bothering you. You have literally just the ability to sit and then evaluate what? Because you will learn so much by hearing your own tone versus their tone of voice when you're outside of the call, when you're listening to it without the emotion, without the anxiousness, without the anxiety. Yep. So that's your business account and your phone. Um, we there, There's a whole bunch of episodes on other tools that we recommend, and it's in our, a lot of our content. I will also tell you, one of the things that I'm big on is having a second monitor. Yes. <laughs> I find it hard to operate in this industry without one. I like can't. I'm on the road right now, I don't have one, but I have an iPad right next to me, so I can have two things open at once. Um, I kind of rely on. I, I usually when I'm in my my home office, I've got two monitors. I've got my laptop if I need a third monitor, and I've got my iPad, which is a potential fourth monitor if I needed it. So, um, and here's why you know, people always ask yeah. the practical reason because I've run into this too. Like I bought a laptop and I never take it off my desk for that reason because I can't stand using it without the other screens. And it's because you just need more desk space. Like if you're working through an invoice and you need to enter it into a TMS and you're cross-referencing it with a bill of lading, very often you need like three full documents that you're able to look at at the same time because it's very tedious to try to go, okay, does that number match this number and switch between the screens? And primarily as yep. a broker, like that's one of your biggest jobs is making sure the information that goes to this person is the same as that person, which is the same as what you have. Yep, absolutely. I love the, the multi-screen. I've seen people that have like four or five. Um, all right, 242 inches. Get, What's that? My, my, my other, one of the guys I work with, he's got two 42 inches that are stacked on top of each other, the two curved 42s. But now yeah. you can delineate them so you can like cut it up into how many screens you want. That's, gonna, yeah. that's my next investment. This, this year I, I'm gonna have two. I've seen those, those are pretty cool. Um, all right, last one. How can I get set up with Fortune 500 companies or the other large shippers? Um, I'll give my quick input and then you've probably got more, more uh, experience than me on this side. If you are a small broker or you don't have a large carrier database or carrier network and you're asking this question, you probably don't have much of a shot because they're going to look, there's a lot of requirements that these folks will have. Um, it's not to say it's impossible, but it's a lot more difficult if you're brand new or you're small or you don't have a, a big carrier network reach. You may wanna start with some more small to mid-sized companies before you go into that. It takes a lot longer to set up with them. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of requirements. Um, give me your take on it, Ben. Mine is, if you do want to, even if you are new, make this no more than 10% of your prospects. So as long as the other 90% are mid-sized to smaller shippers, if you're in your first year, having 10% of your prospecting to be these huge companies, for me, it was really important. 
and I'll tell you why, is that's where my excitement came from. I just had a lot of energy of wanting to chase and hunt this whale. Regardless of whether I hit it, like to me, it made me excited knowing I had this long bet that could pay off a lot, and that's where I got a lot of my energy. So even though you're not gonna get them likely in your first year, I would say the first thing is proper expectations. To your point, it's gonna take 14 to 24 months to onboard with a Fortune 500 company. Definitely Fortune 100 to 200. The bigger they are, the longer the procurement. You are also gonna need to take a different approach. You're gonna, one, need to figure out what your value add is to that organization, whatever it is. Maybe you ship to their customers, maybe you pick up to their customers, maybe you specialize in their freight. It doesn't matter what it is, but you should have that. And the next thing is, when you're planning this out, and you're playing the long game, right? You're not gonna blow up everybody trying to close them in a month. You're literally trying to talk to one or two people every month or every two months and try to add another person. So you're like literally developing relationships with advocates in that company. So maybe you talk to somebody in accounting, maybe a couple people in logistics, maybe a logistics manager, maybe somebody in procurement over a whole year, right? You get to know a little of the people, you use referrals to get from one person to let you talk to the next until eventually you've got a really good handle on their requirements for procurement, what they're looking for, what lanes they actually need help with, and what's important to them. And if you found a need out of any of those things, that's what you're basically building or selling to them on every one of these little calls over this year to two year period. I, I like that, 10%, right? 10% of your time. Cause here's, think about this, worst case scenario, if in that first 12 months, <clears throat> if you don't get any freight out of them, it doesn't really change your life. It was only 10% of your time, mm -hmm. so. Good stuff, good good uh, episode, good discussions today. Um, I don't know what we have for next week yet. We'll see what happens. Send in all your questions, everybody. Maybe we'll Send maybe it'll be our topic. Yep, I like this. I think it's giving it a good, gives it a good spin and I don't know. I kind of like going through the questions and turning it into an episode, to be honest. Likewise, man, likewise. Well, cool, you got any uh, last thoughts here for us, Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills, even though it was a rough week. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.